Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a saint who turned his back on his home and found greatness in the land of the Picts. Name, Columba, or Columkilla. Life, around 521 to 597 A.D. Status, Saint. Feast, June 9th. The tall Irishman, whose name meant Dove, walked alone into the Pictish lands. Once upon a time, he had been a prince among the Northern Irish. Now he had left all that behind him, even rejecting his former name. He was a Christian priest, and he had come seeking holiness, perhaps even redemption. Dove, or Columba, as the big Irishman's name was in Latin, was going to see the king. Columba had grown up among the Irish pagans, but found his way to Christianity. Now he had come to the land of the Picts, in modern Scotland, to spread the new faith. The king was open to Columba's ideas, moderately open, anyway. The king even made an offering to the new faith. Perhaps it was a gift calculated to keep Columba out of trouble. The king told him he could set up a monastery on the island of Iona, an island off the coast of another island off the west coast of modern Scotland. From Iona, it was easy to set sail back for Ireland. It would take a little more work to go inland to the home of the Picts. Perhaps the king thought this would be the last he would hear from this Christian prince turned priest. If so, the king was dead wrong. Columba had no intention of staying put. Soon he was traveling, crisscrossing the country, seeking out the pagan Picts to bring them the good news. The Picts of the north of Scotland were a fearsome people. They had troubled the Romans for as long as the Romans had occupied parts of Britain. Finally, the Emperor Hadrian had been so tired of Pictish raids that he gave up and built a wall across Britain to keep them out. But this fearsome reputation did not stop Columba from marching into the hill forts of their kings to preach and ask for help. For example, when Columba went in to see King Bride. The Irishman noticed the presence of the king's druid, and noticed, moreover, that the druid had an Irish girl as a slave. 
Columba took pity on the girl and asked the druid to set her free. The druid laughed in his face. Columba, not even a little bit intimidated, calmly explained to the druid what would happen next. He, Columba, was leaving. The druid would be wise to release the girl. The further away Columba got, the more dangerous it would be not to release her, for the druid. The druid sneered at these threats, and Columba set out with his companions. The monks walked along together until they got to a stream where Columba paused, distracted. When his companions asked what had happened, Columba casually explained that back at the king's fort, the angel had arrived. Things weren't going well for the druid. Soon after, the monks heard the sound of riders closing in fast. They were sent by the king, begging the holy men to come back and help the druid, who was convulsing on the ground. When the druid managed to get a few words out, he was saying that he now saw the wisdom in freeing his slave. Meeting the king, confronting, punishing, and then saving the druid, freeing the slave girl. For Columba, this was another day of life in the Pictish lands. Columba was building the church, one encounter at a time. It had all started in a different place, long ago, with the story of a boy named after a wily predator, Crimthan, Fox. Around the year 521, Fox had been born into a noble family in the north of Ireland. His family were kings, although they were subject to the high king in the south. Fox came from a pagan family. He was exactly the sort of man to eventually become king in his own right. Tall, massively built, with a big booming voice and a magnetic personality. But as Fox was growing up, at some point he encountered the new religion that had been brought to Ireland by a man named Patrick. It was called Christianity. The more Fox studied it, the more he felt God calling him to the church. And so Fox was one of the first in his family to convert to the new religion, eventually becoming a priest. Fox wanted to change his life, to live a life worthy of a Christian. He left everything behind, his wealth, his status, even his name. Fox understood what his name implied, and he wanted a name that suggested something different. He chose Dove, which in Latin is Columba. Young Columba became a priest, living an ascetic life, imitating the desert fathers of the East. At first, his parents may have found this choice difficult to understand. But Columba was the first of many. He could not have known it, but he had been born into the last generation of pagan nobles in his kingdom. And 
as the new faith found more and more believers, Columba's reputation for holiness grew along with it. If things had gone differently, Columba might have become one of the great saints of Ireland. But as Columba was entering his forties, there was a shift in local politics. Columba's family was going to war with the clan of the High King in the south of Ireland. Columba wanted to help them. The High King marched north with an army, and then Columba realized there was a spiritual dimension to the war as well. The High King, a pagan, had brought his druids. They were using their wizardry to conceal his army, conjuring mists around it, and giving the southerners a massive advantage. For Columba, it was obvious that he should help his own people. For one thing, they were his own family, his clan, and he owed them a duty of loyalty. But also, Columba could not allow his family to be destroyed because of pagan magic. Columba joined the army. He prayed for God's help, and the mists around the enemy dissipated. The northerners attacked. Columba cheered them on. Some very late traditions suggest that he even joined in the fight. The northerners won. The southern army was crushed, and the high king was driven back, humiliated. It should have been a time of celebration. But, as the days turned into weeks and months, Columba realized that he had done something wrong. Perhaps he had been put in an impossible position. In one way, Columba had done the right thing by defending his people and the church. But Columba had also taken sides against other Irishmen, who were also, in a way, his people. Suddenly, he could no longer relate to the Southerners. Columba was now in his forties. His credibility was damaged. The obvious solution was to get to work and rebuild it, carefully, step by step, spending the rest of his life on this diplomatic project. Instead, Columba set his eyes to the north and east and embarked on the biggest adventure of his life. Columba decided that if he was having trouble relating to his fellow Irishmen, it would be a good time to go to the pagan lands of the north of modern Scotland, the lands of the Picts, and bring them the word of God. After the first king he met gave Columba real estate for a monastery on the island of Iona, Columba had his foothold. Columba was a builder, traveling across the lands, preaching the new faith. He was so effective that monasteries sprang up where he had been. Our first historical look at Columba comes from a few decades later, when Adamnan, an abbot of the monastery Columba had built on Iona, began to record what was known of his predecessor. Adamnan was surprised at the permanence of what Columba had produced. It wasn't just that Columba had built lasting institutions. Even the little things he made lasted. One community had no hymn book, so Columba had copied out a book for them by hand. This 
valuable book had been lost in an accident sometime around Christmas when someone was crossing a bridge with a book in a satchel and the whole satchel had fallen into the water. The community had written the hymn book off as lost. But then, around Easter, some women were walking by the river and they saw the satchel had washed up on the bank. It had been underwater so long that the bag was half rotted away. But when they pulled out the book, it was as dry and undamaged as if it had been sitting on a shelf at the library. Adam Nan takes time to tell us that he received multiple reports of Columba's indestructible books. When Columba wasn't on the island of Iona, he moved through modern Scotland, teaching, building, creating the foundations of the church. He healed the sick, and although his life was filled with austerity, always had a cheerful word for those he met. There were still places in the Pictish lands sacred to the old gods, places where those who visited could be cursed if they were not careful. Columba walked fearlessly into these places, blessed them, and purified them. Meanwhile, the community at Iona grew. The monks continued to travel back and forth to Ireland. The leader of one expedition grumbled to Columba that no matter how hard he tried to find crew for his upcoming trip, he kept ending up one man short. Columba smiled and explained that this was no accident. The expedition was saving a seat for a man in Ireland, a stranger who was even now feeling a strong vocation to come to the monastery on Iona. The crew would recognize this man because he would be the first man in the port to grab their ship and help ease it into the berth. When they arrived in Ireland, the monks watched to see who was the first man to help them dock. When they approached the surprised dock hand, they found he was indeed feeling a call to the monastic life. And so, on the return voyage, the ship sailed back with a full crew. In time, the man from Ireland would become one of Iona's gardeners. Perhaps my favorite story from the time on the island is the story of Columba's encounter with a sea monster. Not that sea monster. Columba had, so it was said, encountered and banished a monster near Loch Ness, the first mention of the Loch Ness monster. But this story takes place by the ocean near Iona. Columba told a monk who was headed out in a boat to be careful, for a huge fish, or perhaps a whale, was in the area. This was obviously silly, so the monk tuned out the old abbot and sailed toward land in the usual way. His boat nearly capsized when a huge fish surfaced underneath it. Soon afterward, another monk was about to depart. Columba gave him a similar warning about the fish. But the second monk had been listening to Columba's teachings. He took Columba seriously, but the monk said to him, That beast and I are both in God's power. At last, Columba smiled and nodded. Go in peace, 
your faith in Christ will shield you from this danger. And indeed, the second monk saw the fish, but instead of fearing it, he blessed it, and the fish swam harmlessly away. As time passed, many people found it hard to imagine a church in Scotland without Columba leading it. But Columba was entering his seventies. Things couldn't go on in this way forever. Like many saints, Columba had a sense of his approaching death. We know this from an accidental encounter when some visitors walked in on Columba in a private moment. Just as they were about to announce themselves, they saw Columba's focus switch to something far away. And so they watched his face cycle from pure joy to devastated sadness. When the vision ended, the fearless old abbot was crying. Eventually, they got the truth out of him, on condition they keep it a secret until he was no longer alive. It turned out that they had walked in on Columba at what should have been the moment of his death. Long ago, God had told Columba that his ministry in Scotland would last thirty years. The visitors had arrived in the final hours of that time. In the vision, Columba had seen angels coming to him, as if traveling toward him from the Pictish countries. But then something had stopped them. It was as though they were just on the other side of the water from the island where Columba waited, within shouting distance. Every part of Columba yearned to go with the angels. Yet, when Columba realized the angels were no longer coming, he came to understand a hard truth. He had been too successful. All around Britain, people were praying for Columba to stay with them a little longer. God had heard their prayers. And so God had changed Columba's destiny, shifting Columba's fate to give him another four years of life. And so, for four more years, Columba worked, helped, and grew the community on Iona. By now, Columba could no longer walk easily, and he had to travel around his monastery by cart. After four years, something changed again. Columba began to say strange things. He told one baffled monk that the angels were on the move again. Columba wrapped up his work and blessed the monastery for the final time. And then he confided to one monk, Scripture calls this day the Sabbath, which means rest. Today is truly my Sabbath, for it is my last day in this wearisome life, when I shall keep the Sabbath after my troublesome labors. At midnight, this Sunday, as Scripture saith, I shall go the way of my fathers. For now, my Lord Jesus Christ deigns to invite me, and I shall go to him when he calls me in the middle of this night. Columba had been waiting for this night 
for a very long time. Afterward, he would become one of the most beloved saints of Britain, appearing to the warrior saint Oswald Whiteblade in his hour of need. Now, the bells rang out to mark the midnight service. The monks filed out, walking to the church in a dignified way. Then, someone streaked by them. It was the old abbot, sprinting ahead of them to the church. He had waited thirty plus four years, and he was not going to wait a second longer than necessary. One monk hurried after, just in time to see the abbot kneel in front of the altar in the darkened church. And then, for a moment, light poured out of the old man, illuminating the building. But by the time the other monk arrived, the church was dark again. Father, where are you? But there was no reply from the body of St. Columba, slumped down but smiling before the altar. Mm -hmm.